Come on, can we get a shout of praise to a great God? Well, Lord Jesus, we, um, we want to say thank you that you're here. You're with us, Lord. It's so easy to think that you're a distant God just sitting off to the side watching, but you're, the, the Word of God says that you're present, that you're here, you dwell within us, and that your Holy Spirit dwells among us, Lord. And, Lord God, in the praises of your people, you, you come and move and chains are broken, Lord. Scripture even says, Lord God, through the praises of infants and children, Lord God, um, ambushes were set up against an enemy, Lord God. And so I want to thank you for this time of worship we've had, Lord, significant in the spiritual realm. Uh, Lord, Lord, these aren't just singing songs because we think they sound good or it just sounds good everyone together. But Lord, we sing it because we declare that the name of Jesus is above every other name. And we believe, Lord, there's freedom in your name, Lord God. We believe there's victory in your name, Lord Jesus. Lord, you deserve all the honour, all the glory. And Lord, we know because of the praises of your people, there has been victory won. So Lord, we want to give you praise and all honour in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. That is awesome. Welcome to church. You can take a seat. Can we thank uh, the worship team, all the tech team? They do an incredible job. Um, one thing I was just saying to the 4.30 service is um, being a worship pastor, one of the things you get to see is the, the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes. And um, I, I see our tech guys um, and our camera crew and our band and people side stage doing all these things to pull together a service um, so that we can worship God together, that we can pro uh, proclaim the gospel. Our, our morning team, you may not realise this, but they roll in at 6am every Sunday morning. So if you think the 8am service is an early one to get to, join the worship team and your eyes will be opened. Um, but yeah, we're very, very grateful for um, what God does through that ministry. Um, I, tonight, am uh, continuing a series that we're, we've been doing called Summer Psalms. It's, a, it's been a really good um, series. In February, we start a church-wide series on Galatians, which will be amazing. Make sure that you, if you haven't registered for a connect group, whether it's a young adults connect group or one um, in the families or what other generation you want to associate with, um, make sure you get on board with that because nothing healthier than having a church-wide series and everyone being connected. Um, we grow together, we learn together, we sharpen each other. Does that sound cool? But tonight, it's Psalms. And uh, the one thing I love about the book of Psalms is it's this amazing, unique collection of prayers and, and worship songs, um, which include these uh, expressions, like these um, spiritual reflections. And it also gives like affirmation about God's faithfulness and God's greatness. Um, the other thing it, it does is it expresses faith, but it also, these Psalms, um, actually express as well is sometimes lament. Uh, maybe in really tough times, it, it shows these authors pouring out their heart in these moments of trouble. And so um, they're a beautiful collection of 150 books. Um, don't worry, we're only focusing on one tonight, so you're not going to um, be here forever. But it's this, this thing where the book of Psalms actually touches on all the different emotions that the human soul um, goes through. And so at any point in your life, you can actually go and delve into this, this book of Psalms 
and you will be guaranteed to find um, something that will resonate with um, with the, what you're dealing with at that point. And it, it's beautiful because over the centuries, um, Christians have grabbed a hold of this to get spiritual comfort and to find strength, find healing and restoration and to find um, the faithfulness of God. And so tonight, what I want to do is push into a psalm. It's a little bit different. It's actually a what they call a teaching psalm, uh, giving wisdom, giving instruction. And um, it is written, or seems to be written by uh, David. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, you probably know about David and Goliath. Um, David, this little guy who kills this massive giant. Well, David grows up and he becomes king. And um, he is an amazing musician as you read through the word and you realise that he's a very creative guy and so he writes a lot of these psalms. And so we're going to read one of them together. Does that sound cool? So if you can turn to Psalm 37 with me. I'm reading this from the NIV. Um, So you can follow along with that or what other version you have. Um, I'd love you to to follow along. And what I'm going to do is I want to spend a little bit of time in verse 1. And then um, we'll go through the other ones. Because verse 1 almost gives us the grounding of what's sort of going on and the rest of these amazing instructions. So let's read it. Psalm 37 says this. Do not fret because of those who are evil. Or be anxious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they'll soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. I want you to trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will do this. It's an amazing, an amazing psalm. I, I normally love to give a real background behind um, something that was written, but I, I can't really find anything to give a real defined um, background of what's taking place. But what we do know is David is in his latter years as he's writing this. And he's, um, it seems like he's speaking from a place of either encouraging his heart or encouraging those people around him. If you think about someone like David, he's speaking from a place of wisdom. If you'd been the king of Israel... Um, I'm sure you would have seen a lot of things and experienced a lot of things and had to lean into God many times. Um, in his formative years, um, obviously, if you were going to kill Goliath or you're going to be a shepherd or you're going to actually um, pull apart bears with your hands, as the Bible says, um, I'm sure you would have had an interesting life and had a lot of experiences to give you great wisdom. And so what I can see here is that he is speaking either to his heart or maybe he's speaking to other people because it looks like in verse 1 that people who are following God are beginning to get distracted um, by people that are around them, um, whether they're against God or not, but they're, they're beginning to uh, look and be charmed by the prosperity they're having, meaning that if they just do whatever they want, they'll do anything that their hearts desire and they'll gain it. And then these followers of God, it, it seems like they're beginning to look at it and think, well, maybe this following God thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. And so David begins to write this psalm. And so verse 1, which says this, it says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. In other words, it is saying... It's saying, don't get all uptight about the way either corrupt people or self-centered people go about their life and the comments they might lead on your social media page 
or the misinformed information that may be destructible, have destructible agendas that they may push on you. I, I don't want you to get uptight about that. And then I don't want you to get starstruck by their seeming prosperity, you know, their popularity their, or their perfect Instagram page. This isn't from the Bible, by the way. I just want to clarify that. But do you see the picture? It's like it's so easy for us in life to begin to look at these different things and we may see people that are doing whatever their heart's desire is, yet they are beginning, they're continuing to prosper, they're beginning to move up in positions and then sometimes we can be sitting in a place, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have, and I begin to think, well, God, what about me? I don't know if you've actually um, looked into the word do not fret, but it literally means do not get heated up about I don't know if you've ever just gotten so worked up about something. Um, and I don't know if these issues have ever been an issue for you, but I remember at school, I had experienced injustice and it burnt deep in my soul, all right? I was, I think, in grade nine and class had finished. We're about to move to another class, but um, one of the guys had left this box of fundraising chocolates just down on my side there. Does anyone remember the fundraising chocolates? That was a blessing at school when you forgot your lunch. Um, And they left it there, and I remember I I saw it, and I was like, oh, I thought being a good Christian boy that never got into trouble, I picked it up and took it to my teacher who was walking out of the library. For some reason, we were having class in the library. And I said, oh, sir, um, someone left the... Um, the box of chocolates behind and he sort of just looked at me and ignored me and I you know, said it again and he just seemed like as if he didn't really care and I had these guys, these mates with me who was like, John, just take the things like, you know what I mean, like no one will ever know like, and I remember in this moment thinking about it like, oh, this moral dilemma and so what I did, I said, look, I'm going to put it on this table and I said, whatever you do, with it, that's up to you but I'm just going to leave it because that's someone else's. Anyway, the day ran on and I... I remember that dreaded knock on the classroom door just before 3 p.m. You know, I mean, when the principal's favourite student comes to give the bad news, they knock and the teacher says yes, and you're like, "Um, principal so-and-so wants to uh, see Jonathan Harris. For me, all right, I I was a good kid, all right. I never did anything wrong. Maybe at home that was a different story. Um... I remember that, going to see the principal was the most horrendous thing ever, and I'm thinking, what have I done, what have I done? I had no idea that the deputy principal was about to unleash on me, and what I didn't realise is those guys had taken those chocolates and had begun a very profitable business around, um, around the school, making money um, in their back pocket from this, and the, the deputy had pointed at me and said I was the instigator. Now, in that moment... You are, you are desperately proving your innocence. You're trying to plead it. But the more I plead, the more that he would be like, you are guilty. And I plead harder and harder to the point I was like, oh, my goodness. I got half a day detention. I'm not sure why half a day, but go figure. But I remember going home. I was so angry. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think mum even said anything to me in the car because I think she was a bit nervous about my mental state at that point. And I got home and I ran out of the backyard, found the biggest log, um, and I had a little tomahawk that I'd got for my birthday. I'm not sure why my parents gave me a tomahawk for my birthday at that age, but I laid into this piece of timber. You know what I mean? Like, I was into it. 
I would have given the Ecker guys a run for their money in the woodshop, and I'm sure my parents were probably sitting there in the lounge room praying for me, thinking it's finally happened. He snapped. <laughs> but I remember that burning passion, this anger. You know, I mean, I, I even remember being in school and looking at some people around me, and I was, uh, I was someone that met Jesus from a young age, and, uh, and I remember uh, the Word of God stood out to me. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't a, a suggestion. It's like, do this because it's going to bring life. And I remember following God and, and making tough decisions, but looking around sometimes and seeing mates and, and friends and just doing whatever they wanted and they looked like they were having the best fun, you know what I mean? They were prospering and I, was, I remember thinking, oh man, sometimes I'm envious of this. But, but this is what the psalmist is talking about. He says, I don't want you to get all burnt up or knotted up, all uptight. I don't want you to fret about those who are evil. Or I don't want you to be envious of what they have in their hands. You mean, we're so guilty of this. I don't know, maybe you don't, you don't struggle with this stuff. But we look around and, and we begin to look at what other people have and we think, oh, man, maybe what they have is what I want. Or maybe you're like, no, I want that. And this is what's happening in this psalm. These people or, or David's beginning to look at this and, and, and he's trying to encourage his heart and give wisdom out saying, uh, being on a faith journey, don't, don't be distracted about what everyone else has. You know I mean, even if they're people who have a total disregard for, for social or, or moral impacts and they're still prospering, don't, don't chase after that. We see it today, don't we? You see corrupt business can take place, yet it prospers. Or, you know, I mean, you might see false news or, um, you know, lies that are being slightly changed around to impact or give someone a bad name so someone can have an agenda or someone can get a foot up or maybe someone cheats the system a little bit. And you see this prosperity and, and we think, well, maybe maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe we, we go after this because they seem happy. They've got everything they want in this world. But David's saying this clearly. The psalmist is saying, do not envy it. Do not fret about it. Why? Why is the psalmist saying this? I'll tell you why. God doesn't want us to be in a place of fretting or envy because it holds us back from the very plans he has for your life and the fullness of knowing him. We can't look at things from an earthly perspective. I don't know if you've ever looked up what fret means. But fret it means to corrode, wear away suffer emotional strain or even agitate. Envy means a feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, someone else's qualities or someone else's lack. See, I'm not talking about desire and passions. This is, that's a different thing. God can give us great desire and great passions. But the problem happens is when desires and passion, the pursuit of those desires and passions become greater than your pursuit for God. When your desire begins to move to a place of where you become so discontented or resentful about what someone else has that it becomes unhealthy. 
It consumes us, it distracts us, it robs us of peace and actually begins to corrode us and wear us away. In a sense, it's like we're, we're saying to God, God, your faithfulness is not quite faithful enough. Like the plans and purposes you say for my life, I just don't know if I can trust you enough for it. That's, that's what we're saying. But Jeremiah 29, 11, you'll hear me talk about this verse a lot. It's like a, a foundation for my life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, fretting and envy plays out in this way. Proverbs 14.30 says this. A heart of peace gives uh, gives life to a body, but envy rots the bones. I want to read that again. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You know what envy does? Envy gives birth to anxiety. Envy steals sleep, it produces agitation, it robs your joy, it actually begins to eat into your health. You're never at rest, it begins to stretch and twist your morals till finally you begin to give up. And this list continues on. And then to heighten that, if we come and begin to bring a that's something I desired. So you come and say, look, why did they have that? That's something I desire. Look, God, I've been so faithful. That's what I desire. You begin to create this real state of brokenness in your life. And the problem I've discovered myself is when I go into something like that, my eyes quickly move off the faithfulness of God and begin to look inside. It begins to move away from the things that I have received in him and moves to almost like a grass is greener sort of thought. Do you see what I'm talking about? It's what the psalmist is saying. He's like, don't, don't fret over that stuff. Don't be envious of that stuff. The plans I have for your life is, is so much greater than the plans you might be seeing playing out in the world. Our hope and future in Jesus is so much greater than the things that we see are important today. Have you ever thought about that? Do you believe that in your heart, that the things of God are so much more important? The hope and the future he has for you is greater than what you could ever begin to imagine. And so this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, don't pursue that stuff. And I'll tell you why. Verse 2 says, because they're like the grass. The pursuit of that stuff is like the grass. It, it, It withers. And like the green plants, they soon die away. I don't know about you, but I have a love of mowing the lawn. Is anyone else in that place? Anyone else love mowing? Just me? Oh, there we'll see a few hands. That's good. It's all the older generation. The younger ones don't love it anymore. Um, I had a, my wife probably thinks it's more of an addiction than a love. Um, there's something about mowing the lawn and seeing instant results. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like you mow and you look back and you're like, 
instant results. You know what I mean? And the passion of getting those lines perfectly straight and, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's probably an addiction, actually, to be honest, because I'll, I'll mow it and then two days later I'll be looking in and I'll be like, breathe, it's ready. And I'll be out there mowing again. And I actually did a personality study. I don't remember the name of it, but it said one of my personality traits is the fact that um, when, one of my coping mechanisms with stress is you'll probably find this person organising their cupboard and out in the yard mowing. <laughs> this is actually true. And I read it and I'm like, I showed it to Brie and she uh, thought it was quite amusing. Um, so I'm getting help with that at the moment. Um, but one thing I've learned, it, it doesn't matter how much you tend to your grass. You mean, you can aerate it, you can do pH levels, I don't do that, um, fertilise and all that, and it could look amazing. But you know what it takes? It just takes one dry season, doesn't it? And your grass goes brown. You know what I mean? It, 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 it withers. And then in extreme cases like we've experienced in Australia, it actually turns to dirt. And this is what the psalmist is saying. He's like, you know, I mean, it might look awesome and green now, but I'm telling you from a place of wisdom, from the promises of God, that the pursuit of those things are, uh, uh, might seem great now, but I'm telling you they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. He's like, I, I, I want you to know something. He goes, because God isn't in the, in the business of setting you up with a life that gives a, a quick fix and then you're left wanting that's not how our God works. God wants you to thrive in every situation. God wants you to thrive in all circumstances because this brings joy to his heart. We're his children. We're so easily caught up in a grab, grab kind of life, aren't we? And then when we grabbed enough things and it doesn't settle, we keep grabbing. God's saying, don't, don't push down that way. Instead, I want you to do these next few things. Look with me at verse 3. This is one of the, another one of the instructions. It says, instead of that stuff, I want you to turn your eyes away from that and instead I want you to do this. Trust in the Lord and do good. I want you to trust in the Lord. I don't want you to fret. I don't want you to be envious of other people. I want you to trust in the Lord and then I want you to do good. It sounds easy, doesn't it? You know what I mean? When business is going good, um, the relationship is amazing, money is flowing into your account, you are a celebrity at work. You know what I mean? Everyone sees you roll in and they're like, morning. And you're like, yes, thank you. You know what I mean? Like, that's smooth then. Flip that on its head. When you lose your job, money dries up, she breaks up with you. And then the summer says, trust God and do good. What's this getting at? See, the psalmist seems to have this confidence and the reason for that is it is a faith mindset set on the creator God and not at the material things that are in your hand. Does that make sense? The psalmist has a mindset of, of the creator God and not the material things. How easy do we quickly look down? It's so easy for us as we do the journey to look at our feet as we walk through a path. But what the Bible's saying is, no, 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 you need to have an eye on God. Because God has a bigger picture. God isn't looking down here. Yes, he, he cares about these things that happen in front of you. But he is pushing towards something that's greater than that. I 
I love this in Psalm 8. All right, this is a Psalm of David. This is the kind of mindset he had. It's a kind of mindset that, you know, if someone asks you, like, what are you going to do in this issue? You know what I mean? You, instead of saying, I don't know, you say, well, I don't know, but God does. Listen to this. Verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. This is what he's getting at. He's saying, I'm believing that if God has the ability and power to perfectly place stars into the heavens, to design and create a galaxy, to breathe life into action with his very breath, if he can create every plant and animal and give each one a purpose and a place in the food chain, and then he creates you and me and calls us his children, well then surely, surely God knows what he's doing with your life. Even when you don't have a clue about it, even when you do not know the next way to step, surely the God that can do this can do that in your life. You know, I always think about that. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. Meaning the God who led the Israelites from slavery into the promised land, surely he can do that today if he is the God yesterday, today, and forever. And this is why the psalmist is saying, trust in the Lord. Don't, don't look over there anymore. Like, look at it from a perspective of a God-creator perspective. Trust this person. I love, I love this saying. It says, Louis Guglio says this. He goes, I'm trusting in a great sovereign God to orchestrate the affairs of my life. When we have a picture of a small God, we have the need for a picture of a big detailed plan. Does that make sense? If we got a picture of a small God, we need a very detailed plan. But he says, but when we have a vision change and we see an extraordinary God, our need for that picture detailed plan can shrink. Meaning we know we can trust in our God. The other thing he says in this is... I want, you to, um, I want you to wait. I want you to do good. One of the hardest things I've ever experienced is waiting on God. You know what I mean? I'm not a very good waiter. You know what I mean? Like you just on the phone and, you know, when they put you on the, the waiting line and they say, you have moved up the queue, we'll be with you shortly, your call is important to us, I feel like saying, liar. It's true, you've thought the same thing, isn't it? Like, really, if I was important to you, you would have answered the phone by now. But, but this is, what I'm getting at here is the fact that the waiting time for us, we think, is God being silent. But he says, why are you trusting in me? Why are you waiting for these things? Maybe the desires and plans of your heart. 
He goes, I want you to wait. I want you to do good things. Louis Giglio tells about this story. If you don't know uh, Louis, he is a, a pastor. He started up um, a passion conference, a, a massive conference in the States. And he tells this story. Uh, you know, he had, he had passions and he had dreams and um, none of them had come to flourishing yet. And he tells and recalls a story about him getting a job at the Centres of Infectious Diseases Library. Random job to get. Um, but his role was to, all the researchers would come through, grab journals, mark out, put little tags in it, and his role would be to, to get all these journals, photocopy everything, staple them, put them into their nice little piles and have them ready to be picked up for the next day. And he would say that he would get at least five trolleys of these come to him and meet him every morning. And now he, he says that he was situated under this little concrete staircase and there was no, not much ventilation. He goes, it was so small and cramped that the, he couldn't even bring the trolleys in because of the, um, the, the copy machine was so big. And he said he would do this until one day he actually had this moment where he began to think, I'm trusting God, but I'm gonna, I want to start doing good while I wait. And his mindset changed in the fact that he said that he realised that no one could see him in this little room and no one could hear him because the copier was so loud anyway. He, he said, I am going to turn this in to my act of worship. And because there was not much thinking in the, the process of photocopying, he just said, look, I'm going to use this as my worship time, my prayer time. And, and what he began to do is he would go through and begin to photocopy as his act of worship. He did this for two years. And he said one day he finally got the call up and, and to go to grad school. He went to grad school and he, he hears two years later or a few years later, he hears a story or his stories about the way they had to, um, you know, employ other people to fill his role. And they said that he realised that they actually had to employ three people to fulfil his one role. I'm not saying it's about working yourself to the bone, but the thing he says, he goes, his mindset was, you know what? I'm not worried about the future. God has got me right where he wants me. And if this is where he's got me, I believe he'll open the door when he's ready, but I'm going to worship God right here. I'm going to serve him with everything I have. And he goes on to say, you know what? If it wasn't for that photocopying room, he said, I would not be the man that I am today. If I had my eyes so fixed on my desires and plans that I skipped this journey, I would have missed critical character development that God wanted to show me. Sometimes God has us in that place. He said, just trust me and do good. I want you to dwell in the land. He want, I want you to dwell because I've got things to teach you. I want to teach you character. I want to teach you what it means to be faithful. Because God wants to develop and grow you because he knows the desires and plans of your life. And he doesn't want to just release you to him and you make a massive mistake with it. He's like on board. And so he's saying, look, you know what? I'm going to spend time fine tuning you to become everything I've designed you to be because then you can bring glory to me and then you can see people's lives changed. How easy is it for us once we see success to begin to think, oh, my abilities are pretty good. But you have moments like this in the waiting, dwelling in the land where you learn to say, God, you will open the door 
and you will give me the abilities to do that. So when it finally happens, you do not take glory for that. That's why he says, uh, go and do good. Just wait on me and trust. I, I haven't forgotten you. You're not off my radar. I'm actually putting you through the proven ground of character. Maybe there's people right beside you that God is wanting you to invest in before you move to your next season. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I love, I love this thought. It says, the verse is summed up like this. God, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I'm just going to keep dwelling in the land. Or, God, I don't see my life plan coming together, but I'm just going to keep going and trusting you. Or maybe it is this ministry that I'm in. God, this isn't feel right because this isn't the ministry I thought you would call me to. But I'm going to be faithful to this ministry until you call me out of. This is the kind of heart the psalmist is talking about. Verse 4, the third instruction says, once you've done the trusted in the Lord and doing good, he goes, I want you to take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. One thing I noticed about this, notice it doesn't say, I'll give you the desires of your heart and then delight in me. It was specifically put that way. Because God wants us to take every little bit of delight we have from him and only him. It's like the desires that we get is byproduct. But what God wants us to do, he's like, I want you to grab every bit of identity from me. I want you to be so content in who you are in me before you begin to move off to other things. it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to stop in that that position and go, look, God, I just want to delight in you. But if you begin to delight in the Lord, if you make Jesus at the centre of your life, everything else, all your other desires will begin to recalibrate. If your greatest desire is that Jesus is above all. If if your greatest desire is that Jesus will do what he wants in your life, I'm not saying we do this perfectly. Uh, in, In all our failures, we can still have a point of saying, God, I've got these struggles in my life, but I still desire you. Well, he's going to begin to unfold the greatest life plan in your life. Because in Christ, he's going to begin to mould and shape and change your desires and give you God desires. God desires that are so much more fulfilling, more powerful than any plans that man can ever make. It's this taking delight in the Lord is this growing pleasure in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done and continues to do in this world and in our hearts. You know, the sheer delight of his daily presence in our lives, his eternal forgiveness and acceptance, his leading, his guiding, the delight of worshipping individually and collectively with other believers like we've done tonight, to delight in the treasures of his word. Yes, we submit our plans and desires, but when we delight in the Lord, everything else begins to fall into place. Look, I reflect on my life, all right? I'm only 38. For some of you, you're like, 38, that is old. But it, I'm not that bad. Um, 
I'd be a very broken man if God gave me all the desires of my life. Can I say that in, in reflection of my years? It, it, the, the desires and the passions that I anguished over and begged God for and said to God, oh, man, I thought you were meant to be faithful. In hindsight, I look at that and I think, God, I am so grateful that you put up with me and you showed faithfulness and actually rolled out your plans and not my plans because I reckon I'd be carrying some serious baggage around in my life. This is what God's about. I mean, so often we we come and we say, God, why aren't you ticking this box? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Like, look look at my desires. I'm being hugely faithful, but I'm not seeing the fruit. I don't know what God's doing in your life. But what he's calling us to do is to trust in God and delight in him because God's plans will be so much greater than yours. You know what was a really critical turning point for me? Is when I began to realise that man's plans would not dictate God's plans for my life. That might be a bit confusing. What I meant is I spent so much of my life trying to take my, my, my passions and my desires and moulding them and shaping them and pursuing them, thinking I was doing this thing for God. And I was scared that, you know, other man's plans, I'd, I'd miss out because someone else got in that place or someone dated her and now I've missed out and all these different things had taken place. And one day I had this, I don't know, a revelation from God saying, do you really think man's plans are going to impact the plan I have for your life? And I began to realise that I could trust in the Lord. I could delight in the Lord. I could let go of all these desires and plans and entrust it to him because he knows the plans he has for me. Plans to prosper, not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Do you know how that changed your life? I would say 90% of the people in this room are looking around thinking, is my life partner in this room? Be honest. Does anyone put up their hands? We can have our singles date. No, there's no one there. What I mean by this, that is one area that can consume so much of your life. But when you believe that and understand that God cares more about who you end up with than even you do, you become from a God perspective, you know what you can do? You can begin to relax. You can begin to let go. When you're pouring into maybe a ministry or you're dropping someone home who's in need and you're thinking, oh man, that, the crew's all out there and I'm not getting to know that girl or that guy. You know what happens is you can have peace and say, well, that's all right because when God's plan is right, he will fulfill that. And it means you get busy with the things of God. I'm not saying don't meet people. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is trust that God has it under control. Trust him. The last thing is this. Verse 5, it says, Commit your way to the Lord. I want you to trust in him and he will do this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Do you see it? The first one was, don't get uptight. Don't get envious. Second was, instead, trust in the Lord and do good. The third was, find your delight in the Lord. And the final one is, and and come and commit everything to him. 
What does it mean to commit? The Hebrew word um, for that word commit actually means to roll off onto. Meaning uh, the burden that might be on your life or the things that are making you try to grab onto all these things other than God. He's saying, he's inviting you and saying, I want you to commit your life. I want you to roll off that burden of concern onto me because I care for you. Let me do the the guiding and the direction. I, I just want you to spend your energy delighting in me, trusting in me, loving me, serving people. It means uh, handing it all over to him in complete surrendance and dependence. Our, our present, our future, our course of study, your apprenticeship, your employment, your relationship. Committed all to Jesus. That's what it's about. And the fundamental of all this is a heart that recognises it is the Lord who has his plan for us and he wants you to earnestly seek it. Seek his leading and guidance in your life. It's not a DIY project, your life. It's a him project. He's the one that is wanting to shape and change and use your life. So I'm going to get the band to come up. You come up right now. And we're going to have a moment just... um, Maybe we'll have a moment just in our seats. And maybe we can just close our eyes. And the reason for that is just maybe just to get focus. Maybe to worry about, not to worry about who's to the left or right of you. I'm not saying any of this is easy. And God is actually inviting you in this committed all to him is to actually even commit the, the fears and worries about giving it over to him, to him. Or the things that you so desperately are holding on to. He's like, just, just entrust that to me I don't know what it is in your life but God does and you do maybe there's areas in your life you don't even know about and God wants to put his finger on it tonight but this beautiful thing about and I was thinking about this the other day is dying to self is not a bad thing when we die to self when we let go of maybe You know, those thoughts are saying, well, society does it. Why can't I? Everyone else does it. Why can't I? The dying to self is when allowing God to show you his ways. Saying, God, I don't understand it, but I'm just going to trust you and follow what your word says. And I can tell you, I have never regretted one season to follow Jesus. The only times I've regretted life are the ones when I've chosen not to follow his path. And so allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Paul testifies in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, 7, 11 said, By faith we too can reckon ourselves, our feelings, thoughts, opinions, ego, whatever it is, to be crucified with Christ. Then we are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to know tonight God has great plans and purposes for your life. 
They may not pan out the way that your desires and passions are right this moment. They may. But you can trust that His purposes for your life are so much greater. And He's inviting us tonight as a people because God's given us a great community around us. And He wants us to surrender afresh because He wants to use us powerfully to begin to love on people. Tell them about the grace of Jesus Christ. Tell them about the death of Christ, but the resurrection. He wants you to have life and life to the fullness. Some of us are so burdened by trying to make life happen, to make that course, to earn that position that is just beginning to eat you up. And God is inviting you tonight to say, roll that burden onto me and trust me because my plans are going to be greater than that. And so just in this moment, while we're here, I'm just going to invite you, maybe for the first time you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've heard this and heard it numerous times, but tonight there was something that took place where you could feel the Holy Spirit, you could feel God beginning to say to you, the first thing you need to do is you need to let go of doing life your own way. Meaning you can come to God, not through your good acts or anything like that. He says, Jesus died on the cross for you while you were a sinner. Why I was a sinner. Why I was against God. He died on the cross for me. So I could be forgiven. So I could be made right. And then He rose again to say, hey, you've been raised with Christ. There's victory in the name of Jesus. You are now my son. You are my child. Maybe tonight is the night that you want to give your life to Jesus. And what I'm going to do is ask you right now just to put up your hand. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to make any fanfare about that. That's great. Anyone else? It's a a point of courage doing this. Just put your hand up and say, Jesus, count me in. And then tonight is maybe a fresh surrenderance. Saying, God, I've been trusting in everything else of the world, but I've lost focus of you. My desires and my plans, the pursuit of them have become greater than the pursuit of you. This isn't a guilt thing. Can I, can I remind you of that? This is a, a, a drawback to God, an invitation. If you ever sense a, something in your heart where you feel like, oh, it makes you want to move from God, that's not of God. God's a, a calling in God. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you in this next song to move your way down the front. And as a pastoral team, we'd love to pray for you. We're not going to delve into your life. We'll just say, can we pray for you? Maybe you want to just kneel. I don't know what it looks like for you. It doesn't worry me if no one comes up the front. That doesn't worry me. I just care about the fact that you do business with Jesus tonight, that you'll know the fullness of Christ. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, speak to us right now, even through this time of worship, Lord God. Lord, I love that passage, Lord God. You're inviting us. You're saying, don't don't fret. Don't be anxious. Just trust in me and do good and, and dwell in the land. Take the light in me. And I'll give you the desires of your heart. Just leave that stuff to me and, and commit your way to me. And I love in verse 9, God, you say, but those whose hope is in the Lord, they will inherit the land. 
It's not they might, it's they will. Lord, Your promises are faithful. And so Lord, in these moments right now, thank You for those that have expressed that they were giving their life to You, God. And Lord, I wanna pray for us now. Begin to stir something deeper, a hunger, a freshness for You, we pray. In Jesus' Name, Amen. We're gonna stand around this auditorium and we're gonna worship God. You do that right now. And I want you to use this as a time of response, crying out to God and maybe there's someone beside you that you want to ask to pray for you. I mean, you can do that in this place, but I want us to go into a place where we believe and begin to understand the promises of God. Can we do that? Thanks, team. Thanks for His goodness, His faithfulness. Lord God, we worship you here in this place tonight. We thank you the truth of those words, that you are a good God, that you are faithful to all of your promises. We thank you, Lord, that we don't need to fret. Instead, Lord, we can trust in you. What a freeing thought to know that, great God. And Lord, I pray that as we take delight in you, that you will reveal your plans and your purposes for our lives, great God. We'll be able to step into that, great God. Thank you that nothing, as we look to you, nothing can hinder the unfolding of your plans for us. Instead, Lord, you call us just to look to you, to trust in you. And so we do that now. Thank you for each and every person here. I pray your blessing on them. For those tonight who maybe for the first time have said yes to you, Lord, fill them with the awareness of your love, your joy, joy of your salvation, your power, great God, life abundant in you. And so I just pray your blessing on them as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Please be seated. If you would like to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Christ or you responded tonight, we have these Bible gift packs. We'd love to give this to you. If you'd like to be prayed for, you haven't had a chance to, come down the front straight after this service. We'd love to pray for you. We're going to give 10 minutes just for people to mingle. And then we need your help to help set up for our garage sale this weekend as we get ready to welcome and bless our community. But God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us tonight. We look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much.